Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. We're in the Kingdom Parable Sermon Series. This is week number four. I know you're keeping track. We only have one finger left to go, and then we'll have to start on a new hand because there's six weeks. But anyway, Kingdom Parables, hopefully you're enjoying it, getting a lot out of it. We're looking at what did Jesus say when he told parables about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this, it's like that, it's like that. And uh, it's been really, really good. Hopefully you've been able to connect in life groups and discuss it further and uh, build relationships with others here at New Day as we do this. Um, So I just wanted to review what were the first three weeks. First week we talked about how the kingdom is a great treasure Second week, we talked about how the kingdom is an unstoppable force. That was the the mustard seed in the yeast. Last week, we talked about how the kingdom is an invitation. There's a great banquet, and the invitation goes out. Who will come? Some reject the invitation, some accept. And then this week, we're going to talk about the king of the kingdom. What is God like? And we're going to see that the king of the kingdom saves the lost. That's what he's all about. As we look today at the parable of the prodigal son. That's what it's commonly known as. We'll call it something different, but I get ahead of myself. So here's our passage today. It starts in Luke 15, 11 through 32. That's a lot of verses. Um, I'm not going to have them all on the screen, so get your Bibles out. If you prefer electronic Bible, get your phone out and unlocked, whether you use Apple or uh, Android. That's fine. Android's better. That's fine. <laughs> Just kidding doesn't really matter. Okay, but get to the chapter. There's a lot of of reading to do today, and if it helps you to follow along right there in front of you, you'll want to have that ready in a little bit. We're going to talk about how he came to seek and save the lost. That's the whole point of what we're getting to today. I'm going to use a couple of sources for the information that I'll share with you today. I thought I'd put them up there in case you love to uh, go home and chew on this stuff some more. Here's where you could go. Um, Jesus, the Middle Eastern Storyteller, is a book by Gary Berg. He covers more than just the parable of the prodigal. He covers a lot of other parables, and it's a terrific book. It's kind of like, you know how like some scholars write like whole books on one parable. He took like a bunch of them, and he condensed down all that stuff into really, really good stuff. But it's like you can read in one sitting um, his scholarly take on an entire parable. Great book. And then I found these four videos by a guy that I love. I have some of his books and really enjoy his stuff, Dr. Kenneth Bailey. These four videos uh, that are, the links are up there, are him talking all about the prodigal son. He's written multiple books just on the prodigal son parable, um, and that's a great place to go find more good stuff. All right, so the context for the parable of the prodigal. Luke 15 is actually a trio of parables in response to the Pharisees who come to Jesus and say, hey man, you eat with sinners and tax collectors. And actually through the Gospels we see they start with a question, why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? And later they just kind of point out the fact, hey, you eat with sinners and tax collectors. And at the end they're like really pointing the finger, you eat with sinners and tax collectors, you naughty, naughty boy. Um, It happens when Jesus goes to dinner at Matthew's house. He was a tax collector. It happens when he goes to dinner with a little guy up in the tree, Zacchaeus, who is also a tax collector. And it happens here in Luke 15 as well. Um, 
And so I want to give context for what is that question that they're asking, or the challenge, or the accusation um, about eating with sinners and tax collectors. And in that day, there was this huge emphasis in the church. It wasn't the Christian church yet, it was the Jewish synagogue and the, the Jewish teachings and traditions, but there was clean and there was unclean. You know, there was righteous and there was unrighteous. And there were the rules that you follow to stay over here and not end up over there. And if you end up over there, here are the rules you follow to get back in right standing and to be clean. I mean, there were literally people who had skin disorders walking around town going, unclean, 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 because they had to give everyone else a heads up. If you get too close, if you come in contact with me, you're going to be unclean too, and you're going to have to do all that stuff to be ceremonially clean and be able to go to the temple and worship. So that's the backdrop for what they're starting to say. And uh, the Pharisees and the people who bring this challenge really, really care about that stuff. And not only do they care about really obeying God, but it was, it was like this puffed up thing for them. Like, I'm so great, check me out. I follow all the rules and I do it right. And in fact, you people who do it wrong, I could really tell you a thing or two about how to get your act together and do it right. So they really were invested in this clean, unclean thing. And here comes Jesus. People call him rabbi and teacher, just like they call the Pharisees. And he's doing it completely different. He just goes to dinner with them. He does things on the Sabbath they would never do on the Sabbath. He is rocking their world. And so first they ask him, eventually they just kind of notice that he's doing it. By the end, they're like, if you were a good rabbi and a good teacher, you wouldn't be doing it this way. And Gary Berg puts it this way in the book that I mentioned. The accusation actually means Jesus is not righteous because he does not keep boundaries with the unrighteous. So they actually are saying, Jesus, you can't possibly be a good teacher. You can't possibly be from God. Despite all the miracles, you're breaking the rules and you're doing it all wrong. So this chapter is Jesus' response to that challenge. He tells us um, three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the two lost sons. So I can't, I can't just dig into our passage without just mentioning what he communicates in the lost sheep and the lost coin. The lost sheep, he says, God is like a good shepherd. He seeks and saves the sheep who's lost. And it's costly love for him to do this. And when he succeeds, he throws a party and invites his friends. You know, and just a little tidbit on this before we move through. The shepherd has a hundred sheep, one gets lost, he leaves the 99 and he goes out into the wilderness, into dangerous country, tough terrain, thieves and robbers and wild beasts galore, and he is on a mission to find that lost sheep because it's important to him. But it costs him something. He's got to go on this journey. And when he finds the lost sheep, lost sheep just sit down eventually and give up. They cry their little sheep cry, and they give up, and they're not going to walk home. It's not like he goes, oh, hey, there you are. All right, let's go. He has to pick him up and put him on his shoulders and carry him home. So it costs him something. It's a sacrificial act to seek and save the lost sheep and bring it home. And it's his joy to do so. He's really happy about it when he succeeds. Then we see Jesus say, God is like the good woman who seeks and saves the lost coin. She sweeps the whole house. She turns on all the lamps, looks in every little nook and cranny and corner until she finds her lost coin. And when she does, it's her joy. And she invites her friends to a party. Come and celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. And we'll see in the two lost sons, there's a contrast between the two. And we see it here in these first two parables. The lost sheep is lost outside. And the lost coin is lost in the house. You can be a lost sheep 
far from God, and you can be a lost coin even inside his house. But he'll seek and save both. That was good. I could tell you felt it too. All right, then we come to the lost sons. God is like a good father. He seeks and saves the lost sons. It's costly for him to do this. And when he succeeds, he throws a party and invites his friends over. We can see all three are communicating the same thing at a certain level. Um, And we're going to unpack this one for the rest of the morning today. Yes. And as we do, I just want to look at each son so that we can break up the passage and not read like 20 verses all at once. We'll do the the younger son and then we'll do the older son. Um, And we're looking at these four questions about each. How is the son lost? What was his plan for his life? What was his agenda? How does the father seek and save? What is that king of the kingdom like for each son in the story? And then what would it possibly look like for each son to accept or reject the father's love? So we're going to start in chapter 15. I know you're ready for it. Here it comes. Verses 11 through 24. Let's read it together. I've got the ESV up here. He said, this is Jesus now answering that challenge from the Pharisees. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. All right. Let's begin to unpack the younger son's story. So how is he lost? From the very beginning, he shows how lost he is. This guy's the easy guy to figure out, right? The younger son. Um, But what does it really mean to ask your living father for your inheritance so that you can go and do your own thing? This is a total, like, slap in the face, a total, like, dishonoring of the father. It's like saying, I wish you were dead. All you're worth to me is the money that you've earned. Give it to me and I'm out of here. I want to go do my own thing, live my own life. And he does. Father lets him do that. He goes and spends the money on self-indulgence. And then it gets really bad. His circumstances come home to roost. And his plan for his life is foiled. And he's out of money. And there's famine. And he's hungry. And he's destitute. And Jesus really puts the, the period on the sentence of where this guy ends up by saying he's feeding pigs which is the uncleanest of unclean things that a Jewish person could do. 
is deal with the most unclean animal, the pigs. He has nothing to eat. So that's the picture of his lostness from beginning to end. What did his plan look like? At the beginning, his plan looked like good food, good fun, and good friends. Hey, Dad, I want some money. Off I go. I'm going to enjoy it. That's what I'm after. That's what I want to do. And he does for a while, but then he has to make a new plan because he's left with those pigs and and nothing to eat. So he makes this plan to prevent himself from starving to death. He says, my dad's got a lot of money still, even though I squandered a third of it. The older son gets two-thirds. He gets one-third. Fun facts. But um, (laughs) he's like, dad's still got money. I could go back and I could work for dad. I could be like one of his hired servants. And then I could have enough money to maybe pay back my debt, you know, still have my own way. And really the key here is that this plan that he makes up is not a repentance or a returning. I don't know if you've heard that taught before. I know I have, and it's easy to read it that way. But the younger son is actually not trying to return to sonship. He's returning to be his own man, but, but live off of his father's wealth. And the reason that we can see that is in verse 19. He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. And Dr. Bailey in those videos that I talked about really digs into this. And he would translate it, fashion out of me a craftsman. So his plan is to go home to dad and say, hey, train me up to do something valuable and then pay me to do it. You know, I want to pay my way out of debt. I still want to be my own man, but but could you do that for me? It's not really the repentant heart (laughs) at all. So when the younger son shows up on the, on the edge of the village, he's not returned. He's not repented at all. And it's important to see that because it really highlights the father's love, which is what we're all about today. We're still setting that scene, building toward it. So the father's heart to seek and save his lost son starts at the very beginning. This lost son, right, at the very beginning says, I wish you were dead All you are is money to me. I'm out of here. And from the very beginning, the father does what's unexpected and very gracious. He says, okay. (laughs) Because what's expected from a noble Jewish first century dude is to say, oh, that's all I am to you? Fine. Whack. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Like, no, you can't have it. I'm dead to you? Okay, you're dead to me. But he doesn't do that. He says, okay. Gathers up, divides the estate, lets him do it, lets him go. And we can see the fact that he didn't disown him because the son comes back, right? That's an open door still. He shows back up at the village thinking, maybe I can work for for my dad. So we know that he wasn't disowned. And then when he does show up, this is really amazing what the father's love is like, isn't it? You've probably, if you're familiar with the parable, you've heard it before. I just want to highlight a couple of key things that the father does at this point. He felt compassion when he saw him. He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. Then he gives him the robe, the sandals, and the ring. And he throws the party. So what does it mean to run to the son? Like, why would he do it? And the reason is, kazaza, or however you pronounce this Jewish word. (laughs) There's a ceremony for, for publicly shaming and disowning somebody who's done what this younger son has done. And what you do as a village is you go, This dude showed back up. He went and squandered his father's wealth in in the land of the Gentiles. So here's what we do. We get together and we get our pot, our kazaza pot, not an instapot, but, you know, picture it how you will. 
and uh, you put some burnt stuff in it, and then you go out together, and you meet this dude at the edge of the village, and you throw down the pot in anger, and you say, you're not coming back in here. We disown you. You're not welcome here, and you drive them away. And so the father's love runs to meet the younger son before they can do that to him. Very powerful. And when he gets there, he embraces him and he kisses him. He's making peace with the son. So first century Middle Eastern conflict between the dudes usually goes, they're mad at each other, they get in the room, they talk it out, and when they resolve the conflict and they've decided to make peace with one another, they exchange the kiss on the cheek. And that says, I've made my peace with you, you've made your peace with me, we're all good now. So that's how he greets the son. He runs to him and he greets him with that. Oh, I forgot the most, the funniest part. So what does it look like to run? See our little Jesus in the corner there? He's wearing a robe. So this father would have been wearing a robe, kind of like a long dress. Ladies, how easy is it to run in a long dress? Chris says easy. I don't think he has a lot of personal experience, though. (laughs) You got to hike it up, don't you? Like you can't just run with the dress down around your ankles. So he can't run with the robe down around his ankles. He had to hike it up. Hopefully he didn't put it in his teeth and maybe he just kept it here. But either way, you're seeing bare legs and underwear. Talk about shaming. Remember the culture was so much about like honor and and honoring each other and deferring to one another and, and, you know, all of this stuff. He totally dishonors himself. He totally puts himself through the shame of showing the whole village his bare legs, which you would never do. And there's all of these historical um, writings that talk about you don't do that. You don't go up in a high place where people can see up your robe. You don't lift it and run around. You just don't do it. But he was willing to do it. He was willing to take on the shame to restore his son to relationship, to beat the villagers out there before they could crack their pot and drive them away. It's amazing. And then what does he do? He says to his servants, go get the robe, the sandal, and the ring. Bring them out here. We're going to march this son home and show everybody who sees us along the way that he's accepted. We're going to give him the father's best robe. This is the robe he'd wear three times a year at the big feast. Everybody who comes to a big party sees this guy. He's obviously rich. He divided his wealth and he still has a fatted calf to to slaughter and celebrate. So he's doing well. They would see this robe. It was a nice robe, I'm sure. And now the son is going to walk home through the village wearing the robe. Sandals are for sons. Slaves and servants in the house don't wear sandals. This son's going to walk home in sandals because he's restored to sonship. The ring is like a signet ring, right? Like king so-and-so declares it shall be such-and-such, and and he like seals it with his ring. So the father is saying like he has the authority in my house to make a decision, to say something, and it matters. He's giving the son so much undeserved love, um, and he sacrificed so much to do it. It really, really is amazing. And it's his joy to do it. He's so willing to do that. And he calls everyone together to celebrate his success in making peace with his son. Super cool. So what would it look like for this son to reject the offer of love from his father? He doesn't in the story. But what might it have looked like? He might have stuck with his plan. No, God, I'm here to be a... God. No, Dad. (laughs) I'm here to be a craftsman. I'm here for you to train me or to use the skills I have to work and earn my way back into some sort of standing, earn my way out of this, this debt. I'm here for what I can get from you, not to have a relationship with you. That might have looked 
That might have been what rejection of the Father's offer would look like. But instead, he accepts. Real hard work, right? Like, oh, put that robe on me. Oh, thanks. Yeah, can you put a little tighter on the sandal? Like, he didn't have to do much, did he? He just accepted the Father's love. But it does imply a submission. Like, all right, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to come back into your home. I'm going to be your son. I'm not going to, you know, squander your wealth and run away again. So there is an implied kind of acceptance and submission of this son, which is good. I'm glad he said yes. All right, so we're going to do the same thing with the older son. How's he lost? What was his idea, his agenda for his life? What was his plan? What did the father do to seek and save the older son who was also lost? And what would it look like to accept or reject the father's offer? This is in verses 25 to 32, the rest of our passage today. Let's take a drink and then read it together. Ah, stay hydrated, new day. It's good for you. Okay, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the older son is lost, too. He has a broken relationship with the father, too. And we see it as soon as he learns what's up. He, he runs into this, it says in, in the translation I read, he runs into this servant, but it can be translated boy. It's probably a village boy who wasn't old enough to go into the party, so he's hanging out outside the house. And here the older brother comes back from working in the field. The boys are around, there's music and there's dancing. He can hear it from afar. He hears it as he approaches and he says to the boy, hey, what's up? And the boy says to him, your father, your brother has come, not returned, not repented, he just showed up, and your father killed the fattened calf because he has received him back. It says safe and sound. But what Dr. Bailey says in the videos that I talked about is that he actually received him back with peace. He made his peace with him. Is what you can, you can dig into that word and study it all up, and, and it says the father made peace with him. And the older brother gets upset, right? He's like, my dad made peace with that little piece of junk. <laughs> I'm coming in from the field where I've been working hard, doing what I'm supposed to do, and he's having a party for that guy? Are you kidding me? And he doesn't go into the party. What a way to dishonor the father, right? He didn't say, give me all the wealth, I'm out of here. But he says, I'm not coming to your party, Dad. You shouldn't be doing that. What the younger son did to us is no good. In fact, he, said, he calls him your son. He doesn't say like, you know what my brother did? He says, your son did this. <laughs> He's also dishonoring his dad by having a public argument. Again, think of this culture of like honor and respect and deference. 
you don't not go into your dad's party. And then if he comes out to you, you don't have an argument in public in front of everybody. <laughs> you don't say, look, here's what's up, dad. Right? There's no title of respect there. This guy is totally lost too. And he's accusing his dad of wrongdoing. He accuses the brother. When Jesus talks about the younger brother in the far country, he doesn't say anything about prostitutes. Dr. Bailey talks about this. But the older brother fills in the blanks. He's like, this is what the younger guy was doing, and I know it. He didn't know. He's making an accusation against his dad and his brother. Totally lost. Right there in the house. Doing everything he was supposed to, right? Following all the rules. I've obeyed all of your commands. I've worked for you so hard. And yet he's so lost. He doesn't get it. So what was his plan? It looks a little bit like his younger brother's plan. When you really get down to it, he wants good food, good fun, good friends. He's packaged it a different way. He doesn't say, Dad, give me all the money. I'm out of here. He says, Dad, I'm working so hard for you. I'm following all the rules. How come I don't get a young goat to have fun with my friends? And you're giving this dude a, a fattened calf? Are you serious? But it's the same desire. I want good food, good fun, good friends. I want to go do my own thing. And he says, I deserve it because I'm a hard worker and I want to be honored. I should be, I can't believe you started this banquet without me, Dad. I can't believe you're having one for him in the first place. It should be in honor of me, not him, because I'm doing all the right things. Why don't we put that little brother in his place and have a party for me here, Dad? It's kind of the way he's thinking about things. But what does the father do? Again, he comes to seek and save this lost son. His love is so great and so costly. He comes down and out of the house again, just like he did for the younger. He met the younger at the edge of the village. He meets the older here in the courtyard with the, the boys who aren't in the party. He comes down and out of the house. This is totally unexpected again. What's expected is for the father, the man of standing who's throwing the party, to maybe ignore him. You know, word comes in from the outside, the older brother's out there and he won't come into your party. So it's like, what's he going to do? Party on, people. We're not going to worry about him. He rejects the party, so be it. Or maybe worse, Dr. Bailey um, talks about how maybe he would have sent servants out to actually like tie him up and throw him in a room and be like, get him out of here. Don't let him wreck the party. I'm going to deal with him later. But instead, the father, again, humbles himself, puts himself through the public shame and dishonor of leaving his own party or putting it on pause. Hey, guys, give me a minute. I got to go and try to bring this son in because I want him here. It's a, it's a costly love. And it says he entreats him. It's not like trick-or-treat, like Halloween. He didn't go out with candy. What it means is that he went and petitioned him, almost like begging, like, please, come into the party. He came out there and says, please, just come into the party. This is good. This is a good thing. Come and celebrate with me. And this is just, like, an amazing fact. Um, at the very end, he's like, it's fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found this is called the divine passive did i say this yet in this service no good this is called the divine passive they're they're all over the place and um like to write or say the name of god was really a big deal and so there were like ways of saying god's name without saying it and, and you wouldn't, like, write it down, because what if you wrote down God's name on this sheet of paper and then you dropped it on the ground? You'd totally dishonor the Almighty God with that. So, like, there was this technique called, that we call the defined passives, where you don't say that God is at work in the sentence, 
but you imply it by not having any other actor, you know, in the sentence. So when he says, your brother was dead and is alive, he's saying, your brother was dead and I brought him back to life. God is the one at work. He was lost and is found. He was lost and I went and found him. It's God who is at work. One more drink. What might it have looked like for the older son to reject or accept the father's offer of great love? We don't know what he did. The story ends, and it comes back to, remember, Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees who said, you eat with sinners. And he leaves this story open-ended. It's kind of like saying, now that I've told you about the good shepherd, the good woman, the good father, and how great a love the father has, what are you going to do with it, you older sons? (laughs) you who follow all the rules, but you're so lost, what are you going to do with it? So their choice was, was laid before them. Do I stick to my guns and say, I can't forgive these younger brothers, these tax collectors and sinners. Don't you know, Jesus, tax collectors are taking our money and giving it to the Romans, and they're taking a cut for themselves and getting rich on the backs of us. I can't forgive that. And these sinners, they do all sorts of unclean things. They're not listening to us, the rabbis, and doing it right. These lowly people, like, how could you throw a party for them? Like, I just can't get on board with that. That's what it would look like to reject what Jesus has laid out to them. To accept it would be like to get on board, right? Like, wow, Jesus, you're talking about a great, amazing love. The fact that God would do this is spectacular, and it's going to transform me. And I want to be like that, too. I want to be a part of it. I want to come to the party, and I want to actually be like you, too. I want to Give up my honor, my place, my privilege to serve others too. I accept. So that is how Jesus told these three parables to talk about how his mission was to seek and save the lost. That's in Luke 19. Um, And I just want to say that was always the plan. It's not like the God of the Old Testament didn't want to seek and save the lost. He did too. In... um, In Matthew, to one of the challenges of the Pharisees, um, Jesus said, you know, hey, I came to call sinners to repentance, and you guys should go go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he was quoting Hosea chapter 6, where it talks about mercy, and the same word that's used there is the same word that God uses to explain who he is to Moses. When Moses says, show me your glory, God, show me what you're like, I want to see you. And God says, I'm the Lord, merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love. It's the same word that's used in Hosea. It's the same thing that Jesus says. God is merciful. He always has been. And you guys have missed it. But come and join in the kingdom. Come and be like the king.